So good morning. As you say, my name's Morag. I'm part of the Kingdom Vineyard family. And I am delighted to be with you this morning and to continue our sermon series through the book of Luke. It seems highly appropriate and probably no accident in the two weeks leading up to our week of prayer and fasting that we land at the point in Luke where the disciples go to Jesus and ask him to teach them how to pray. Well, how to pray like him. They've spotted something different in the way that Jesus prays to the way that they've previously been taught or the way of the Pharisees or other rabbis. Toby brilliantly kicked off this topic with his talk on the first four verses of Luke 11, which is where we find Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer. And as Toby rightly said, those four verses deserve a sermon series of their own. However, Toby's talk gives you a great basis of what Jesus was doing when he began his teaching on prayer. And I commend the podcast to you. The Lord's Prayer has value as a liturgical prayer, but probably even more so as a model and a basis for all other prayers too. Jesus continues his teaching on prayer in the verses we'll look at this morning. He, he shows with a, a couple of illustrative stories to build on and explaining not just what we should pray, but how we should pray. So let's read together from Luke chapter 11, verse 5 to 13. I'm on a squeaky bit. That's going to drive me potty. There we go. That's a bit better. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I was fortunate enough to be with Toby and Carol's home group a couple of weeks ago where Graham led an extremely helpful Bible study on these exact verses. It was really fascinating and, and helped to kick off my thoughts for this sermon. 
The first story Jesus uses to expand his teaching on prayer is the story of two friends and neighbors. One who receives a visitor late at night and has no food to give him. So he pops next door to see if his friend can help him out. The friend appears reluctant at first and makes excuses, but he does get up and gives his neighbor what he's asking for. As Graham said in our Bible study, we need to be cautious as to where we might be inclined to place God in this story. I don't think it's helpful or indeed Jesus' intention that we should see God as reluctant or in need of persuasion to answer our prayers. The helpful question that Graham asked was, how would this story be shocking to its hearers? Which is the usual purpose of Jesus' parables. In actual fact, it's the reputation of both neighbors that are on the line. The first is in danger of shame by having nothing to set before his visitor, a disgrace in a Middle Eastern society which valued so highly hospitality. But the reluctant neighbor might also be held in disgrace too for failing to help his friend in need. In our Bible study discussion, we did wonder if the neighbor without bread would feel some reluctance to even ask for help, maybe due to that shame for not being able to offer hospitality. But what does Jesus say? Ask and it will be given to you. Don't be shy, don't be ashamed, ask. Not only that, be persistent. Even though the friend won't get up because he's your friend, he'll, give, he'll get up because he realizes you're not giving up. In the commentaries I looked up, the next few verses are highlighted as being in the continuous present tense, which is grammar, which I, my mom will tell you I had no idea about. But it leads to verses 9 and 10 in the New Living Translation to be this. And so I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. The invitation in the Lord's Prayer is for us to ask for our needs and the needs of others to be met. In these verses, we see how we are to ask. We are to come with boldness, with shameless audacity, and to be persistent. Ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. Not to give away too many spoilers, but Jesus does tell another story in chapter 18 about being persistent in prayer. It's known as the parable of the persistent widow. So I'm implying for the repetition that Jesus really means what he says. We are invited to keep on going in prayer until we see answers. 
just to say again, I don't think this is because God is in any way reluctant and somehow we need to G him up and persuade him. I think this is an invitation to a practice which is for our benefit. In the chapter on prayer in his book, Celebration of Discipline, Richard Foster gives this illustration. Suppose you turn on the TV and nothing happens. You don't instantly give up and say, oh well, that must mean there's no such thing as TV programs and the electronic signals, they just don't exist. No, you assume that there's something wrong and you check all the connections, wires, switches and plugs. Maybe persistence in prayer is like checking the connections. It brings us back again and again to the Father and spending time with him results in far more than just answers to requests. It can change our hearts, our minds, and teaches us to listen, which may well result in our prayers lining up more and more with the Father's will. The Father's will. Again, in the Lord's Prayer, we are invited to come to God as a child to a father. And Jesus leans into this further in the next few verses. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? We know this, don't we? Those of you who are parents, or like me, have parents, we know that parents want to give good things to their children, especially with simple requests which are reasonable and good for them such as something to eat. We know this instinctively, even if it's not our lived experience. And here, Jesus is highlighting how much better our heavenly father is than even the best earthly father. How much more will he give us his Holy Spirit? The parallel verses, the parallel verses in Matthew's gospel are very similar. Found in Matthew 6, verses 7 to 11, Matthew says again, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? The only major difference would appear to be that in Matthew, the Father in heaven gives good gifts, and in Luke, he gives the Holy Spirit. And I don't think that's a contradiction. The Holy Spirit is without doubt a good gift. And in a way, it underpins all good things that we can be given. 
And if we link back to the parable of the two neighbors, the neighbor with the unexpected guest is not just making the request on behalf of himself. If the guest hadn't shown up, he'd have no need of the bread. His request was mostly on behalf of his guest who was tired and hungry. A lot of our requests to God will also be on behalf of other people. And the best prayer we can pray in those situations is to ask for the Holy Spirit's help. Richard Foster's observations on when the disciples were praying for others was that they seemed to know what the will of God was before they prayed their prayer of faith. They were so immersed in the milieu, Foster's word, not mine, the milieu of the Holy Spirit, that when they encountered a specific situation, they knew what should be done, which enabled them to pray with boldness and authority. I think sometimes it's easier, certainly for me, to pray for other people. I have so many situations where I long to see healing for my friends and family and for circumstances to change for them. It is both a joy and a frustration that to see these things happen means I should be immersed in the milieu of the Holy Spirit. A joy in that it is only through the work of the Holy Spirit's power and and work that my prayer can be answered. And a frustration that being in his presence usually means he works on me too. No, Lord, could you, could you just focus on my friend's situation over there, please, and get me a little less personal? Thank you. I'm gathering for the slight giggles that I'm probably not alone. However, coming to the Holy Spirit, asking for his guidance in prayer, what to pray, how to pray, I have found can also mean becoming willing to be the answers to prayers for others. I have heard stories of people who have responded to the nudges of the Holy Spirit, which have led to conversations with people who have been having suicidal thoughts and have been praying to God for a sign, something to know that he is there and he cares. And that person has been the answer to that prayer. Praying for provisions for a family in need that you know might lead you to volunteering at Storehouse and being part of providing for many families. It can lead to unexpected conversations with friends who you thought had no interest in faith. And how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? My old Matthew Henry commentary puts it this way. We cannot come to God with a more pleasing errand than when we come to him for the grace to enable us to do good. In this passage, we are invited to approach God as a good father for our own needs and the needs of others. To come to him continually asking, seeking and knocking. Asking with boldness and persistence. 
the disciples had witnessed Jesus praying. In several places that we've already seen in Luke, we are told that Jesus often withdrew to quiet places to pray. But on a couple of occasions, at least, some of the disciples were with him. You can check this in Luke chapter 9, verses 18 and verse 28. The disciples had clearly noticed something different in the way that Jesus prayed. And this has led to the request for Jesus to teach them to pray. We know that Jesus' relationship with his father when he was here on earth was fueled, maintained, and built through prayer. So when he was teaching the disciples to pray, that's what he was teaching them and us. How to fuel, maintain, and build our relationship with the Father through the Holy Spirit. It is an emphasis throughout Luke that we should be aware of the Holy Spirit's work in bringing the kingdom of God. The work of Jesus brings the kingdom of heaven into, kingdom, into conflict with the kingdom of this world, which we see again and again as Luke recounts supernatural encounters, the casting out of demons and miraculous healings. It's a conflict that we still face. As we see in the vineyard, the kingdom is both now and not yet. Learning to pray like Jesus and so somehow to build the same deep relationships with him, the Father, and the Holy Spirit is definitely something I would like to take on board and work on. I had a conversation with Jim recently where I admitted that I really love doing prep for a sermon. Well, it's probably more of a love-hate relationship. The prep is fun, the writing, not so much. But diving into the Bible with purpose and mining for gold is such a privilege. And we all know that Jesse just loves to find out what it says in the Greek. But us geeking out on the meaning of verses or words or passages, it's pretty meaningless unless we're also asking, what is the message that God is giving us today? And I felt that God wanted me to get practical. In this week of prayer and fasting, let's ask Jesus, teach us to pray. And I'm shamelessly nicking the next bit from Pete Gregg because I think he sums it up really, really well. He, Pete Gregg is the author of How to Pray, A Simple Guide for Normal People. And I think he really does sum up what Jesus was talking about in the Lord's Prayer and in the verses that we've said today. When it comes to prayer, keep it simple, keep it real, and keep it up. And if you remember nothing else today, remember, when it comes to prayer, keep it simple. Ask for our daily bread. Keep it real. Come as a child to their father. Keep it up. Be bold and persistent. I think some of our home groups, or certainly some micro home groups, may have done the prayer course, which is the study series that goes alongside Pete's book. 
I cannot recommend this highly enough. And they also have what they call the tool shed, which has just some great online tools for different ways to pray. There's one specifically which, uh, as Toby suggested last week, using the Lord's Prayer as a framework. And it takes you through step by step exactly how to do that. And this week I also found one, what they called a circle prayer, where you put yourself in a physical circle, either drawn or marked out. And in that circle, you ask God to begin a revival, starting in that circle. Which I see as a practical way to ask God for the Holy Spirit, as my commentary said, for the grace to enable me to do good. I think I might try that one this week. For a deeper dive into the disciplines of prayer and fasting, the go-to book is definitely Richard Foster's Celebration of Discipline. But I can also recommend The Life You've Always Wanted by John Ortberg, Spiritual Disciplines for Ordinary People, which is an easier read, but is still challenging. And I'm firing these at you, but I'll see if I can get this put up on on the website or on social media as well. Because there's just so much to say on the topic of prayer. We've we've not even touched on um, unanswered prayer or, you know, just difficult things like that. But don't feel, my, my total encouragement is don't feel overwhelmed because... Just try things. If they work, great. If they don't, move on, try something else. God has made us all so wonderfully different that he doesn't expect us all to be carbon copies of each other or for it to be one size fits all. So, as we ask with the disciples, Lord, teach us to pray. I think the Lord would say to us, keep it simple, keep it real, and keep it up. Why don't you stand and I'll pray for us. Oh, come Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray in the way that you prayed, that leads us into deeper relationship with you, the Father, and the Holy Spirit. That leads us into being answers to prayers for other people. And Lord, would you give us the shameless audacity that we need to see your kingdom come. And Lord, would you give us the compassion, the wisdom, as we attempt to do ministry and pray for each other, to somehow stand with each other in this journey of learning to pray I just thank you, Jesus, that you 
have taught us the Lord's Prayer. You have given us the tools that we need. You don't leave us on our own floundering. But you come and take us by the hand. Thank you, Lord. Amen.